get into. Lord God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet you're still new every morning. Um, And so we pray that as we uh, further look into your word in Exodus here this morning, you would help us to better understand your great act of salvation in the past, your great act of salvation in Christ, and how we are to respond as your body. We pray that you would make that clear to us by your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, before we uh, go, uh, signals got mildly crossed. Um, uh, if you're looking in your bulletin, nothing, nothing that's been said this morning is wrong, so don't worry about that. Uh, but just so you know, it says that the sermon uh, message is going from Exodus 35 to 36.7. Uh, that was because um, uh, uh, Clark had put that out. Um, to Carol for our bulletin um, before I did. Um, and so uh, my apologies on that. Um, I'm just stopping at the end of 35, and I understand completely why Clark would, would have put that. Um, at the end of 35, we're introduced to a couple of, well, actually, they're not introduced, they're reintroduced uh, to a couple of guys, and it further talks about them in those verses there. So I understand completely why that goes. I'm not going to go quite that far. Again, that's mild. That's not going to uh, hurt anything, but just so you're aware of that uh, little discrepancy. Sorry about that. Um, that said, this morning we are continuing in the book of Exodus, and as we do, um, I'll, I'll, mentioned, uh, I'll mention to you that I think, and I mentioned this Clark as well, I think one of the challenges of uh, what we call expository preaching, and that's that practice of just the, uh, letting the text of Scripture follow along in series for our teaching, uh, at times it'll become evident that uh, the authors of the books themselves, they didn't necessarily have that intent in mind when, when they wrote the scriptures and that, you know, that, that preachers like us would be breaking it down into pieces. Uh, you know, a few millennia later, there were over 30,000 years past when this would have uh, been written. And so what I mean by that is we are at a point in Exodus, where there's some repetition in a lot of what we're looking at. And I, I frequently recommend reading study Bibles when I'm, I'm up here. Uh, I, I have four that I use, and that big ESV study Bible that, that you may have seen, that's my favorite because it gives a, a good variety of perspectives and it's got a, a substantial number of helpful articles. But just as evidence of, of what I just said about the repetition, um, is when you look at the notes uh, for the, the chapters that we're reaching now, you're going to notice that, uh, that instead of a lot of new notes, what it's going to do is it's going to have a tendency to refer you back to the old notes in things that we've already seen similar uh, in, in prior chapters. So that's an easy way for you to see what I'm talking about. Uh, that said, what I'd like to do right now is I'm going to give you a quick summary of where we've been in recent weeks. And then we're going to follow uh, by a quick read through and brief, just brief comment on the first half of Exodus 35, the first half of today's chapter. Uh, the main point of our, uh, of our time today uh, is going to be in verses uh, 20 on out. Uh, so again, let me just do a, a uh, summary, and then, and then uh, we'll get into it a little bit more, perhaps meaty, in the um, uh, coming, uh, going into verses 20 and forward. Uh, but, but where we've been in the scriptures is, you'll recall, back in Exodus 32, Moses is on Mount Sinai, he's meeting with God, and the people of, of Israel, they're impatiently waiting for him, and in their impatience, they have Moses' brother Aaron make an idol, and that is the golden calf, and so we have this scene of God's people clearly violating God's commandments right at the time that they're supposed to be receiving them. 
And so God informs Moses that he'll, he's going to destroy the people. And while Moses appeals to God's promise to make them a great nation, Moses then breaks the tablets in anger. The Levites are ordained. 3,000 wicked people are slain. And Moses wants to appeal God to, uh, to God for atonement. And then an unspecified plague is sent. That's what's happening in 32 there. And then in chapter 33, God calls the people to leave Sinai and to follow an angel toward the promised land. But because of the stiff-necked and stubborn nature of the people, God won't be in their presence at this time. And before going, Moses speaks to God in a remote tent of meeting, and he speaks to him as a man speaks to his friend in, in uh, 33.11 there. Moses intercedes for the people that God's presence would go, through, go with them. And in that, in that time, God passes by Moses in his glory only allowing Moses to see his back. And then as chapter 34 progresses, we were in chapter 34 last week, Moses receives God's word again, excuse me, Moses receives God's word again on two new tablets, and while with the Lord being declared to be gracious and slow to anger, forgiving sin, and yet not clearing the guilty. We see this renewing of the covenant as, as Clark went over those covenant statutes last week. And the chapter culminates in Moses, whose shining face reflects the glory of God as he relays to, to God's people what he has spoken to them. He covers himself with a veil that he removes when he speaks God's word to them. So that's where we've been uh, as a summary there. And we're here at today's chapter 35. We have Moses speaking to the people again. And for right now, I just want to look at verses 1 through 3 to start. Uh, John mentioned this there, that there is a restatement of that Sabbath principle. Verses 1 through 3. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days shall be done, uh, excuse me, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. As I said at the beginning, just a brief moment on these uh, verses in the first half. We've already heard about the Sabbath multiple times uh, throughout our time in Exodus, back in the Ten Commandments and also uh, Exodus chapter 31. And in Exodus chapter 31, that is right after the initial instructions are given for the tabernacle and its features. So here, where we have this repeated again, all I really want to mention is that we're coming up on the actual construction of the tabernacle. And so it's fitting to remind us that this is going to be work, and it's required that the work be done according to God's pattern for work. Six days with one day of rest set aside to the Lord. And uh, again, as we've heard about this in past messages, Clark's covered some of the issues regarding Sabbath views. Uh, it's a hotbed issue, even in our reform circles. And I don't need to re rehash any of that to you. Just as we read these three verses, I will want to say um, that death penalty uh, for the Sabbath violation, it does underscore the importance for God's covenant people. It absolutely does. For us as New Testament believers, uh, we function as sojourners and exiles in the world, and uh, we do have more freedom now in our Sabbath practice um, that points to the fulfillment of rest in Christ. So that's all I really want to mention about that. Again, we've, we've had messages in the past that talked about uh, Sabbath a good bit. 
With that, let's keep going with the text there, verses 4 through 19 here. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and its oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillar and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Again, I just wanted to make sure we covered this, but uh, go through it real quickly. I'll mention that we have, again, a list of materials that are being gathered for the construction of the, of the temple, for the vestment of the priests, and there is repetition of chapters that we've read earlier. That's okay. Uh, like I said, you can see you know, that kind of thing in study Bibles. Also, I have a historical commentary that I regularly use, and it just notes that in the next several chapters, we've got descriptions of this collection of materials that are going to be used in the actual construction. And, and some study notes will let, let me know that this kind of repetition is just not uncommon in literature of the time, ancient Near Eastern literature of the day. And funny enough, just so you know, the kind of things I do when I when I prepare to speak here, I went um, and looked for messages from Exodus on a particular from a particular author and pastor that I happened to like, and he had a series on Exodus, and it looked like when I got to that series, he just flat out skipped these chapters. He stopped at thirty four and then picked up again at forty. And this guy's a better preacher than I am, and so it's just like, hmm, should I even bother? Uh, <laughs> But, uh, no, uh, uh, that said, uh, on those particular verses, 4 to 19, all that I particularly want uh, uh, to put out to you is to remember that uh, from the overview of our previous chapters, you know, starting at the, at the uh, incident of the golden calf, I mentioned uh, that in chapter 34, where we were last week, Moses was speaking what the Lord had commanded with an unveiled shining face. That's, that's, that's where chapter 30, excuse me, 34 left off. It's not unreasonable that as we read that and then we read this set of instructions, it's not unreasonable to think that possibly the people uh, were familiar with the details of what was going to be done uh, with these materials from Moses speaking in that manner. And so that's all I'll note there. Uh, uh, that said, let's keep going. Uh, these next verses, 20, 20 to 29, that's where I'd like to spend a, a, spend a good more time reflecting for us. Verses 20 to 29. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came 
everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. Everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Like I said, lots of repetition. More materials listed that we've seen before. But here we see the act of people bringing it all to be used. And so, you know, in, in thinking about, you know, collection of materials, as uh, some of you may know, I have a decent-sized collection of, of musical instruments in my home. I know I'm not the only one in the room that has that. Um, I haven't compared. I'm, my, my collection might be bigger than the other guys. I don't know. Uh, no, not the Tom. No, Tom's collection is probably bigger than mine. Anyway. Uh, but I have more than a dozen guitars in, in my house. I've got several amplifiers. I've got drums, sound uh, system equipment. And perhaps the most fun thing for me to collect uh, in the electric guitar world is what we call stomp box effects pedals. And I know some of you are like probably just glazing back your eyes as I, as I begin to talk right now. Um, but these are they're little metal boxes of transistors and switches that create different sound effects. Um, you arrange them on platforms that we call pedal boards there. And I, at the beginning of this year, I told my wife uh, that I am going to put together an expensive brand name pedal board of my all-time favorite professional uh, pedals effects, and then I'm also wanting to put together a cheap battery-operated pedal board of off-brand effects ones that's one that's one that I'm willing to just take out and use and abuse and uh, even let my son borrow. Um, and I, 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 he does. I find the settings different every once in a while. I'm like, all right, he's been using it. Um, so that said, uh, my wife tolerated me, tolerated me doing this, and I got so excited while I was doing this project of putting these things together that I called my brother like a dozen times. As I mentioned, my brother and I, you know, sharing musical instruments uh, over the years. I called my brother like a dozen times to tell him, uh, you know, how I'm putting together this junk, and I would just ramble on uh, about why I bought this gadget or that one, and what you know, what the order I'm arranging them in, and what kinds of cables and connectors I'm using, and the advantages of the battery-powered supply versus the the AC power conditioner and blah, 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 blah. I got a couple of cheap new ones this week, and just yesterday I went, I went on rambling to my daughter about how much I liked the color scheme of what I bought. Now, there, huh, I'll show it to you later. Anyway, um, there are probably about four or five people in this room that everything I said means anything to. The rest, the you know, other 90% of you, I might as well be talking about 3,500-year-old textiles and architectural equipment, right? Right. 
Okay, so why on earth did I waste your time on that illustration? If you can't tell, I so thoroughly enjoy that collection of materials in my own life. There's an absolute love of being able to use this stuff in service of a purpose. There, and so, uh, I, you know, I haven't been playing guitar as much lately, but, you know, most of you have been around, see that I do that. I bring this stuff in, and I use it for worship here. Um, and I would hope that that's reminiscent or reflective of the general attitude of what we see going on in this collection of materials for the, for the people of Israel at this time. They're collecting up these precious metals, jewelry and stones, uh, um, uh, fine linens, animal hairs, hides, all these precious textiles that are skillfully made, spices and oils for uh, fragrant offerings. These are valuable and useful things that the people are going to skillfully put into service at God's command. And as we look at that, I want to bring your attention to things in, like I said, when we reflect mostly in this section of the passage, let me bring your attention to a few verses that I'm zeroing in on as key. Verse 21 there, we've got that phrase, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. Verse 22, all who were of a willing heart, they brought the brooches and earrings and so on and so forth. All the women whose hearts stirred, that's where it made note of them uh, working the textiles, the fine linens and such. And then verse 29, the whole of verse 29, which is really the, the, our main point verse for the day. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Everyone whose heart moved them brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Now, that last one, that last phrase, free will offering. Maybe that catches your attention. Some of us in this room may say to ourselves as good Reformed Presbyterians, well, free will doesn't really mean free will. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, I don't really choose God as sovereign, right? Um, you know, well, hold on there. I did include a definition. We've got that word that's translated as free will there, um, uh, um, I, you know, just so you know, I'll, I'll mispronounce things loud and proud there. I did take classes, but you know, things get forgotten. Um, but anyway, Nedabah, and both the ESV and the NIV, they translate that word free will, uh, the King James ver uh, version uh, translated as willing. Um, and then when you look in a lexicon, just the general lexicon being uh, uh, dictionary, basically, um, the, uh, the idea is it's voluntary. And that's right. There's no problem with that. Um, you know, again, let me bring us back to that summary of where we've been in the scriptures from the beginning of our message. The people of God had sinned against him with their idolatry and the golden calf, and God justly declared that he could not be in their midst. And again, there's a slaying of the wicked and an unspecified plague. Um, yet God also responds with grace and mercy, remembering his promise to Israel to make them a great people. Moses intercedes, they find God's favor, and, and this is a time when the people are being reconciled to God. So what are we seeing here? And I would say that this passage here is a demonstration of the fruit of their repentance. 
I would say that's what we're seeing here, a demonstration of the fruit of their repentance. And so, again, we as good Reformed Presbyterians, we've got these doctrines like uh, total depravity, that we are thoroughly sinful. Um, we've got these doctrines of unconditional election, that we do nothing to merit God choosing us for our salvation. And we've got uh, irresistible grace, which is kind of a maybe a confusing uh, title to that doctrine. Um, but it, it is that... Uh, um, excuse me, that God's grace working in us overcomes our re resistance. And I do believe that those Reformed doctrines are uh, 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 biblically demonstrable. Uh, they're, they're true. That said, anecdotally speaking, and I, I, I didn't have a good anecdote until it just occurred to me this morning. Um, anecdotally speaking, in our emphasis on God's sovereignty in, um, in accomplishing our salvation, which he is, he is sovereign in accomplishing our salvation, um, uh, there may be a tendency to forget that, that, that God genuinely works in us a change such that our spirit, our hearts, and our wills do truly line up with his. So there's nothing wrong, in my view, with responding to, saying that we're responding to God with fruits of repentance that we, we willfully offer to him. Um, and again, like I said, I just, I just uh, uh, an anecdote of, of how we tend not to do that occurred to me this morning. I saw multiple times, one from a friend who's going to remain nameless and, um, and is a good Reformed Presbyterian, and one from a uh, former uh, Presbyterian that I knew growing up who now thinks we're all full of it, um, both spreading around this article in the last week that we talked about um, uh, some scientist uh, says there is no free will. That's a, it's a mild paraphrase there. And both of these people, per people jokingly said, oh, look, you know, science is confirming predestination. Um, just so you know, I, I actually did bother to read the article, and it's just talking about res responding to stimuli. Uh, anyway, nonetheless, uh, it's this caricature that we as Reformed Presbyterians are always talking about predestination, God's sovereignty. We don't choose anything. He sets it out in advance. Well, again, I'm not trying to, to contradict that doctrine, but it is not wrong for us to think about how God works with our wills that we can voluntarily respond. That is a big emphasis of what we're seeing here that, um, right now, and I want to bring that around to the New Testament. If you want to go to the next uh, scripture there. There we go. Acts 2, this is uh, uh, in response to Peter's sermon in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, I refer to this one so frequently. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to emphasize that, that simple phrase, cut to the heart. In accomplishing our salvation, in hearing the message of the gospel, when God impresses his grace upon us, our hearts are stirred, just as we see happening to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 35 here. In Exodus chapter 35, God is being gracious and forgiving of Israel. He is remembering his promise to make them a great nation. And in that moment, they're coming up on the construction of the tabernacle, the place where God will dwell among them. 
all of those elements of the tabernacle, the courtyard, the altars, the lamp, the curtain, the, the holy place, they all point to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we got to remember, again, this tabernacle being the place where God's going to dwell among them, Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, who is the word become flesh, he dwells among us. God dwells among us in the person of Jesus Christ, in his Holy Spirit, uniting us to him. We need to understand that in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection that brings about the forgiveness of our sins, we need to understand our spirits are to be stirred. Our hearts are turned towards him, and we can offer our lives to him willingly because of that change, because of that cutting to the heart. And so we ask the question now, how do we live as ones who offer ourselves willingly to God? Go ahead to the next slide there. We've got Romans chapter 12. This is a very familiar verse, a set of verses there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, familiar verses to us, but I just want to remind us that we, as living sacrifices, we are offering ourselves to him in our whole being. Living sacrifices, we are an offering to him so that our minds are renewed. That cutting to that heart, the renewing of the mind, is going to cause us to understand his will for us. That will is always according to his word. That's what we're, that's what we're able to discern, discern because of this transformation. Um, and we see that out play, playing out very practically. Let's keep going to 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Um, it's been mentioned already today that we've got this, this time of offering in Exodus 35 there, and we see that uh, a similar calling in the New Testament for us, 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, that free will offering idea that we read about Exodus 35, it's plain and simple to the Corinthian church, a New Testament church, and we are called much to the same, right? We are to give, we are to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. And then as we keep going now, uh, uh, like I said um, uh, to Camden in the, uh, in the, uh, children's message, um, we've got uh, passages of scripture like this in Acts 4 where we see this demonstrated. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and all grace was upon them. And so I've got that here as, you know, a playing out of giving freely in the New Testament church, uh, I know I know a lot of people will get up in arms real quick, and it's just like ah, that, that, that sounds pretty pretty communal. That sounds a little bit uh, like something that we don't want. No, it's not a command um, that we that we have to uh, uh, live that communally, and we never own anything on our uh, ourselves. Like I said, the, the the commandments assume that we own things, but it is a demonstration of the heart's attitude that I, that I want to emphasize here that we are able to. Uh, willingly and cheerfully give. 
And we willingly give up our resources just as our Old, temple, Old Testament example is showing us today. And so once we've offered our lives and our resources to him, how does God use that? And I want to say that, that we're going to see that in our closing verses, verses back from the end of Exodus 35 today. That's going to be our point of application, um, the end of Exodus 35, verses uh, 32, 35 here. Then, yep, got it. then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him up with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. And again, as I mentioned uh, when we started out, uh, it's going to go on to talk about these guys a little more in the ver uh, um, first verses of, of chapter 36. And so uh, uh, perhaps as Clark gets into that, he'll have a little bit more to say about these guys than I do at the moment. But I just want to no note that uh, Bezalel and, and Oholiab were introduced back in Exodus 31, and they are clearly the skilled craftsmen chosen to make this work of construction happen. And so when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, just like we've got this picture of these gifted guys who are going to do the work for the body, um, God uses the gifts of his people to make work, work happen among us. Uh, I read from Romans um, uh, 12 earlier there. This is also from Romans 12 on our next slide. And just the, the, I was just impressed upon how the same idea flows in these passages. Uh, from Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Let us use them. Good. Yes, big, big old underline on. Let us use them. Let us use the gifts, just like uh, Bezalel and Oholiab. Let us use our gifts, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so earlier I used that illustration of, you know, my musical resources is something I can offer. Um, and honestly, I think I get off kind of easy in using that as my illustration. Um, it's kind of obvious. But as God stirs our hearts to repentance and to offer ourselves willingly to him, he grants us gifts, differing gifts, just as he did Bezalel and Oholiab. Uh, we can serve we can teach, we can contribute generously, we can do acts of mercy. mercy. And while this uh, Romans passage is clearly saying that we do not all have the same function, it is saying that clearly, um, and that naturally means no one can do everything. Uh, I don't think it's uh, limiting us to say that we can only serve or offer ourselves in one way. A lot of times there are multiple ways that we can offer our gifts. And with that as our point of application today, I just want to close our look at Exodus 35 and I just want to call us, do we, do we feel that stirring in our hearts? 
Do we feel that stirring in our hearts to offer ourselves and our resources willingly? Do we, do we want to see ourselves using our gifts in service to Christ and each other as his church? So I'll leave you at that today. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray simply, please stir in us. May, may, may we be transformed by your Holy Spirit. May we, may we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. May we understand all the more clearly your forgiveness, your sacrifice and ultimate offering of your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalves so that we can become truly your people, so that we can offer ourselves in line with your will so that we can use our gifts in service to you, not that we might merit our own salvation, but as a response of being who you truly have called us to be as your people. We pray that we would go about our lives with that, that stirring, with that movement, with that alignment of our will with yours for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.